This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we truly want to thank you for, we remember Jesus as he came. And we pray that this morning you will help us to understand what it is that we truly believe about Christmas. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, there's a very popular Christmas song, and you may have heard it, you know, it goes like, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Have you all heard that before? Now, really for uh, many people, Christmas, unfortunately, uh, is the most miserable time of the year. Uh, I was reading in the, the internet that uh, in the US, couples are more likely to break up two weeks before Christmas than any other time of the year. Uh, in Denmark, apparently people commit suicide uh, 40% more around Christmas. And in uh, America, 48%, that's one in two men, uh, feel depressed and sad around Christmas. Now it's all very sad because really Christmas should be one of the most joyful times of the year. It should be some of the most cheerful times of the year, one of the happiest times of the year. So why is it that so many people feel that Christmas is the most miserable time of the year. Well, I think it's because, in many ways, uh, the world, on uh, the next slide, has lost its understanding of the reality of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, and the joy of Christmas. Okay, the reality of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, and the joy of Christmas. And that's what we're going to see today in Luke chapter 2. So if you open your Bibles with me to verse 1 to 4, we'll begin where it talks about, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now, it begins really with the reality of Christmas. So when you look here in verse 1 to 4, we are confronted with real people in real time in a real place. Now, they may not mean much to us because we are, who's Caesar Augustus, right? Uh, But Caesar Augustus was actually born in 63 BC and he was the emperor of the great Roman Empire from 27 BC to 14 AD. And during that time, he ordered a census. And obviously, he must have ordered more than one census, because if you look in the Bible, it says that this was the first census. So there must have been the first census, the second census, the second, third census. There must have been more than one census. And the ancient world, in order to collect taxation, which was very important, even today, taxation is very important for governments, um, you needed to know how many people there were so that you could figure out how much tax you would be collecting. So here, this guy, Caesar Augustus, during the first census, ordered when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now again, we don't know who Quirinius is. In fact, we don't have any pictures of Quirinius. That's why I just got this cartoon guy, right? He was born in 51 BC, and he ruled Syria from 6 to 12 AD. Now, As we see here right from the very beginning of Luke chapter 2, we see the reality of 
Christmas. That Christmas is not based on fantasy, it's based on facts. Now, some of you may be very familiar with Star Wars. You know, there's a new Star Wars movie coming up. And the very first Star Wars that I've watched, I think when I was a teenager a long, long time ago, um, began like this, right? You know, if you all remember the very first, okay, I see some of the older people like Kim Lam and Mipo nodding their heads. If you ever watched the very first episode of Star Wars, it begins like this. This is the first five seconds of Star Wars, right? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Now, obviously, when you, when you watch Star Wars, you know this is not history. This is not reality. This is not fact. This is fantasy. And that's exactly what Santa Claus is, you know. Where was Santa Claus born? We also don't know. Does he really travel around with a reindeer carrying him in a sled? I mean, obviously not. So, Star Wars, Santa Claus, they are fantasies. But Jesus Christ is reality. He is history. He is fact. And this ties in with the whole book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which we have just read in the responsive reading because the whole of Luke is given to us as historical fact. And that's why in the beginning, in the next slide, right at the very first five verses of the book of Luke, Luke is at pains to stress to us the historical factual reality that he's trying to communicate. Right? Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So the first thing that we want to realize about Christmas is that it is not based on fantasy. It's not based on like Star Wars or Santa Claus. It is based on the reality of a real person born in a real time, in a real place, Jesus Christ. But I want you to look a bit further in chapter 2, because there's much more to be said here, right? Because in chapter 2, he says there in verse 3, because of this census, everyone went to their own town to register. So this character called Joseph, who was married to Mary, he went up to the town of Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now, this place that is mentioned, uh, Bethlehem, is very important. I mean, I was born in uh, Sydney in 1968. Well, who cares, right? It's no significance at all. But it's very important, obviously, in the Bible that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But why is Bethlehem so important? Why couldn't Jesus have been born in Jerusalem or Nazareth or somewhere else? Why Bethlehem? Because Bethlehem was the town of David and Joseph was of the line and the house of David. So he had to go back home to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born. Now this is very, very important because any Jew who was living that time was looking forward to the Messiah, looking forward to the Christ who would rule for everlasting eternity, which God had already promised to the very first King David. So, because of this census, 
they had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Okay, so these are not the real people, but they had to travel. Okay, next slide. Because it was a town and house of, of uh, David, right? Okay, the next slide. See, God had promised thousands of years before that he would, he, he would make one of the people from the line and house of David to be the everlasting king. And this is what the Jews were looking for. So in 2 Samuel 7 it says, Now then tell my servant David, this is King David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the, the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is the promise that God gave thousands of years before Jesus. In chapter 1 of Luke, right, the next slide, which is just a chapter before this, God fulfills or says that the fulfillment of this promise is coming in Jesus. So he speaks to Mary to the angels and he says, You will be with child and give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so here in chapter 2, we see that God, is for, you know, he's made the promise, he's fulfilled the promise in chapter 1, and now in chapter 2, he's ordering reality or ordering history in order to bring about the fulfillment of what he says. So Jesus has to go back to Bethlehem in order to be born because he is of the line and house of David. So in the beginning we said that Jesus is the reality of Christmas. But when you look at just the first four verses of chapter 2, it blows your mind. Because God actually orders reality, He controls reality, He molds reality and manipulates reality in order for Joseph and Mary to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that Jesus can be born. So if you look at this slide, right? So the reality of Christmas is, who's this guy again? Caesar Augustus, okay, this is what he really looks like, right? Okay, he orders the census so that, the next slide, this guy, Quirinius, would actually enforce the, um, the census, okay, for tax purposes. But it's not actually Caesar Augustus who's in control of time and history and reality, right? But it's actually, the next slide, it's actually the Lord God, I can click again, who actually is behind all these things which are happening, so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Now, I think this is really important for me, and I wish that someone had told me this many, many years ago, because when I was younger, before I became a Christian, uh, I used to talk to people, and some people would say that, oh, you know, Jesus was just an accident of history. Right? You know, he was just a good teacher, he was a charismatic man, and then the crowds basically flocked to Jesus and because he was so popular, they made him Jesus Christ. He made him king and poor Jesus, he got crucified. And you know, 
he's just a myth. Lah, right? He was just the wrong person at the wrong time. But what the Bible is actually saying, even before Jesus was born, right, God was already at work, working in reality, working in history, working in the time, in order to bring about the coming of Jesus in the town of Bethlehem. So therefore, Christmas, the coming of Jesus to Bethlehem as we remember it, is not an accident, it is not a coincidence, it is not chance, it is the act of God. It is not the act of Quirinius, it is not the act of uh, the, the Emperor Augustus, it is the act of God. Now, uh, some of you may know that if you buy insurance, right? so if you go travel somewhere, you buy travel insurance, there's this thing called act of God. So if something massive happens, right? Uh, there's an earthquake, a uh, volcano explodes, a typhoon. Uh, actually, your, your insurance doesn't cover you because that's declared an act of God, right? It's like something is so unexpected, it is so massive, it is so unforeseen that the, the insurance company can't predict for it, so they won't pay you for it. What we are reading here in chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, it is an act of God. That's what the Bible is saying. To, to bring his family to Bethlehem so that Jesus would be born because he was the line of David is God's act in history, the act of God, so that Jesus would be born there as the son of David. So now we understand, first up, on the next slide, uh, the reality of Christmas. Okay, Christmas comes about because it is in history. It is part of the time of the Emperor Augustus, the time of Quirinius, the time of the census. Oh, I think it's a click a few, a few times, I think. Yep. Which led uh, Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem. But now then, we're going to look at the meaning of Christmas. Now, usually when you think of the meaning of Christmas, uh, you think of the nativity scene. You know, you go to the shopping mall, um, I go to my uncle's house, he's got this really, really amazing, elaborate nativity scene. My, my children can tell you about it. It's like the size of this table, and there's this, uh, you know, like this uh, model um, house, and there are these little, you know, like little sheep, and then there's baby Jesus in the manger, and there's Jay baby Joseph, oh, not baby Joseph, but min min miniature, miniature Joseph and miniature uh, Mary, you know, together, the wise men and the stars. It's really amazing, right? If you go to shopping malls, you can see it. Uh, but actually, is that the heart of Christmas? Is, is that really the heart of Christmas? Because if you look at this passage, the nativity scene is only described in two verses, right? So if you look at the passage, look at the passage again, where, where is the nativity scene here? It's only seen in um, maybe verse 7, uh, maybe verse 12, isn't it? Only in two verses are we given the nativity scene. And in fact, in the nativity scene, we don't see anything about uh, the, the animals, right? Nothing about the animals. It's like there's no great description about, you know, about all these wonderful things which are happening in the little model that my uncle has in his house. Because actually the, the meaning of Christmas is not about the, the baby Jesus being born in a manger. I mean, yeah, that's one of the... One of the things that you can see from the outside, but, but that's not the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is actually found in the middle verse, isn't it? Verse 11 to 12, which is the next slide. Right, so this is the key to understanding the meaning of Christmas. It's not the nativity scene, okay? 
nativity scene is only for the externals. But this is the true meaning of Christmas. So the heart of Christmas is found in verse 11 to 12. And it says, Today, oh sorry, no, let, let, let's start there. Ah, let's start verse 10, let's start verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, or the Christ, the Lord. Now, in these two verses are words of great import, right? The great profound uh, weight. Firstly, it talks about what Jesus has come to do. Why has the baby Jesus come? He's not just come to... You know, so that we might take photographs of him because he's the baby Jesus in the major. He's come, <clears throat> it says, to be the Savior. Now, what does that mean, the Savior? Uh, for the Jews, uh, you know, the Savior or the rescuer often meant rescuing them from uh, enemies like the Romans or, you know, their neighbors who were fighting against them. But again, as we read the Bible, uh, Luke chapter 1 explains Luke chapter 2. So in Luke chapter 1 already, God has said in the next slide that the Savior was coming, right? He would, this Savior, right, so, uh, would be in the line of verse 77 to 79. This is what God says, that this baby is coming to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So the whole meaning of Christmas is a rescuer or saviour who brings forgiveness of sins to rescue those living in darkness under the shadow of death and to guide them into a path of peace. Now this is the heart of Christmas. That Jesus comes to save people from sins and death. Now, for many people in the world today, what is the heart of Christmas? Uh, the heart of Christmas for many people, the next slide, right, is... As it says there, uh, Santa Claus, holidays, presents, food, gatherings. Right? You can sort of understand why that makes that a very miserable time. Right? So I was reading some articles. You actually Google it, but because your, your phone's on airplane mode now, you're not supposed to. Right? But people are very miserable during Christmas time. Why? Because they live for presents. Right? So... After a while, I receive my presents, and every year, you know, if I just get socks and ties, I get very depressed and miserable, right? And again, if I want to give presents, I find that actually I get more and more in debt every Christmas time. I, I, I mean, all I remember was when I first started work, my saving balance would go up to about $10,000. Then Christmas time, it would drop suddenly by half because I'm always buying presents and going out to eat around this time. And, and that's very... Disappointing, it makes you quite miserable, right? Because you know, you're receiving unpleasant or unhappy presents and you're spending money on presents that people don't actually enjoy. And then, 
you, you have this idealized picture of Christmas where we're all, all the family and relatives are going to come over, have this wonderful time of warmth and an intimate relationship. Then when people come over, they start arguing, you know, have a few too many glasses of wine to drink. You get a bit grumpy because they take, they eat too much or, you know, they don't enjoy the food that you provided. You know, and people start remembering bad things that have happened over the years. Of course, everybody gets very stressed and tense, right? So when you think of Santa Claus, uh, actually near my house, I just I'm looking for some illustration, right? And there's a there's a Santa meet and greet. So that's why I got this picture from Santa meet. So there's all the Santa meets and greets in some shopping malls around here. And it's all about what is it about? It's about receiving and giving presents, right? But the heart of Christmas is not about receiving and giving presents. The heart of Christmas, as this passage is saying, uh, the next slide, is about Jesus who is in the city of David as the Savior. That is the heart of Christmas. It is the definition of Christmas. Jesus in the city of David, King David, coming to save us from our sins, death, and judgment. Now the problem is that we are so used to that message that it doesn't really impact us anymore. We just don't feel it anymore. We don't feel the joy of it anymore. We don't, we've lost that the meaning of it, the, the intensity of what Jesus has come to do. So last week, uh, I spent uh, two days uh, at, a, at a medical specialist, uh, a neurologist with my father, because my father is getting a bit older, and uh, he blanked out for about uh, two and a half hours. Right? So he just lost like two hours, two and a half hours of his life. Right? I can't remember what happened. I don't know, sometimes I feel I'm getting old, because I can't, sometimes I... I can't remember minutes of my life. Maybe it extends a couple of hours after a while. <laughs> then, so, you know, we were very worried. So we brought him to this uh, neurologist. And uh, when I went to this neurologist at Mount Elizabeth, um, this guy had this huge, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a display cabinet full of all these thank you cards. You know, like it was amazing. Like, you know, there were thank you cards from children, thank you cards from obviously very rich uh, and distinguish uh, foreign dignitaries and people. Um, and, and, you know, they were so heartwarming to me, you know, thank you so much, you saved my life, you're the greatest doctor, words cannot express uh, what you've done to help me. And I remember uh, I asked him for permission to take a photograph of one of them, but I blanked out the, the names. Uh. Oh, I saw you can see the bit of the S there, maybe I should blank it out some more. Right? But you can read this card and you can see just how heartfelt that thankfulness is, right? So I'll read it to you. Uh, Dear Dr. Blank, your comforting words of support gave us much more assurance than any medicines. Thank you for giving our child a new beginning because the recovery is nothing short of inspiring. We are always so grateful for you for saving our child's life. Wishing you and family a healthy, happy and prosperous Lunar New Year. You can sort of feel, right, the heart uh, thanksgiving uh, this uh, card has. You can, you know, it's, especially when you see it as a collection of many, you can see, wow, this guy is really loved by his patients because he has saved them. And I was thinking to myself, imagine if you were diagnosed with a brain tumor today, and then the diagnosis was you only had like a month to live. Like, how would you feel? Like, your whole world would be shattered, right? I mean, all your plans for work, 
your holiday plans, your work plans, your, your children's plans, all these will be irrelevant. But imagine then that all of a sudden, this doctor was able to save you and extend your life for an indefinite period of time. You'll be so overwhelmed with thanksgiving to this person. Well, Christmas is even more than that, right? Because Christmas is God working in history, in reality, to bring us Jesus, to not just save us from a brain tumor and give us a couple more years of life to live, but to give us eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the rescue from death itself. Now, that's a, that would be amazing in itself, right, that a rescue like that would come. But how much more, because if you look in the passage, uh, the next slide, the Savior is not just an angel, but He is the greatest and the best Savior God could give. He is the Christ or the Messiah, and He is the Lord. Now, many of us don't really understand what that means. Okay, He is the Christ as He is in the Anointed One, but He's not just an Anointed One, He is the Anointed One. He is the Christ, the Messiah, who is the eternal king who will be the king of all kings. But he is also the Lord. Now when we think of the Lord, we think of someone who is a ruler. I used to think like that too for many years. You know, he's just a ruler. Jesus, the ruler. The king ruler. But again, as we look at chapter 1 of Luke, and we understand chapter 2 based on what we read in chapter 1, when you look in chapter 1, uh, the next slide. Every time the Lord is used in chapter 1, it's always referring to the divine, to God. So in verse 16 of chapter 1, I haven't put chapter 1 here, but these are all chapter 1's references, right? Many of the people in Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In verse 68, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come and He has redeemed His people. So once we understand the way the Lord is used in chapter 1, then when in chapter 2, Jesus is referred to as Christ the Lord, then actually what we're meant to see is actually this Savior is not just any ordinary person. He is actually the anointed one, the ruler, the king, who is also God in himself. Now that's amazing, right? Because that's worth celebrating. That's Christmas. It is very hard. The Savior is God's Son, who is God in himself, who is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, who has come to save and rescue people from their sins and from death itself. So if you look at the next slide, okay, uh, oh, okay, so yeah, yeah. Okay, so what is it? What is the meaning of Christmas? Uh, okay, you can click a few times. So the meaning of Christmas, Christmas really is that the Savior has come. And the Savior is not just any Savior. He is the Christ. And He is God and divine Jesus. Okay, you click again. So, now that we understand the reality of Christmas, the reality that has been ordered and brought about by God Himself, we understand the meaning of Christmas which is the Savior Jesus, who is at the same time Christ and the Divine Lord, then we also now need to understand what is the joy of Christmas. Why is 
Christmas the most wonderful time of the year. Now, I want you to look very closely at these verses again, and you'll notice a very interesting thing. So look at me in verse 10. Okay, what does it say in verse 10? The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, right? But we don't see everybody being uh, having great joy, right? I mean, obviously there are lots of people who are very miserable. How do we explain that? Well, look at me in verse 14. Look down in verse 14. Look what it says there in verse 14. Uh, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, verse 14 actually says that God's peace, as you remember, the forgiveness that comes to people, the peace of God that comes to people, only comes to those on whom his favor rests. So that means that at one point, yes, the, the, the birth of Jesus is great joy for all the people, but at the same time, only those on whom God's favor rests will receive the peace and forgiveness that comes, that is available to all people. Okay, let me repeat that. So the coming of Jesus is great news for all people. It is great news of, uh, good news of great joy for all people. But only peace and forgiveness will come to some whom God's favor is. So, only those then who receive this peace and forgiveness will truly understand and receive the benefits of Christmas. Now, who are those sorts of people then who will receive uh, this peace? Well, I think in verse uh, 15 to 20, it seems to identify three sorts of people in this present context who receive the news positively. Okay, now I know that in some commentaries, it will try to say, oh, you know, maybe some of them are actually negative, but I, I, I think it's all positive. So in verse 17 are the first positive bunch of people. Uh, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So that's the first group of people, the people who are amazed, right? I don't think it's a negative thing. It's not like they were, uh, you know, like they were amazed and after a while they went back and then they became cynical, right? I think they were genuinely amazed at this great news about the Savior who come. The second group of people uh, come in uh, verse 19, in Mary. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Uh, so Mary here again, we're not really sure whether she come to faith in her son yet. After all, he's just a kid, right? He's just a baby. But she treasured up these things and she was reflecting on them, meditating on them, pondering them in her heart and trying to figure out the meaning of what it really meant. The third group of people come in verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, and they were just as they had been told. So here I think, as we look at this passage, uh, really, the peace and the forgiveness that comes on the ones God has chosen uh, are seen in this very initial stage in chapter 2, in those three groups of people, those who are amazed, those who treasure up and ponder these things in their heart, those who praise and glorify God. 
So for us here today, do we experience the great joy of Christmas? I think to experience the joy of Christmas, it must come about because A, we are amazed at what God has done through Jesus. That God sent His Son, who was holy God, to become holy and human, to die for our sins, to save us from our death. Uh, do we treasure and ponder up the meaning of Christmas? Do we like ever take a moment in the month of December to sit down in our quiet and think, what exactly did Jesus do? What exactly did God do when, when, when He sent Jesus during Christmas time? You know, or, or is our mind just racing at 100 miles per hour thinking about presents? Uh, what's the best restaurant I can go to? What holidays I can have? Uh, you know, what, what, what am I going to do uh, during this holiday season? Do we actually reflect and ponder and think and contemplate about how God sent His Son, Jesus, and ordered everything so that He would be born in Bethlehem to begin His ministry? Or do we actually reflect on that and marvel that God, you know, caused the Virgin Mary to give birth? Or do we just sort of, just sort of let it all slip away and, you know, uh, go shopping instead? And lastly, uh, do we praise and glorify God for what He has done for us? Uh, that God made a promise to David, that God had been planning this from before the beginning of time, that God ordered history in order to bring and give His Son to us to be our rescuer. Because it is only when we do those things, when we are amazed, when we reflect, when we ponder, when we praise and glorify God, that we really show that we really understand what Christmas is about. That we really show that we are the ones who have received the peace and God's favour. So in conclusion, uh, I watched a show many, many years ago, and I'm sure that nobody will remember my illustration here. But I watched this show called The Godfather. Okay, so again, only, only those older people will remember The Godfather. But then again, if you're a younger person and you ever get a chance, if it ever gets on Netflix, you know, great movie, right? So I remember there's this scene, I can't remember whether it's Godfather 2 or 3, where um, uh, the Godfather mafia guy, they're trying to install this, the new Pope, right? If you can remember the plot, right? And um, uh, this guy, he's a Christian guy, he goes to this, they're in Italy, la. he goes to this Italian fountain, this is Italy somewhere, and he gets a pebble, okay, next slide, he gets a pebble out of the pond, and he says to the godfather guy, I can't remember who, which one it was, he says, you know, look at this pebble, this pebble has been in this pond for hundreds of years, he said, it's been surrounded by this water, right, then which is very dramatic, he breaks the pebble, and he says, look inside, it's dry. It's dry. And he said, that is, the, that is the, um, the nature of the heart of men and women, he said. You know, they're, they're surrounded by Christianity, but their hearts are untouched. They're dry in their hearts. And the same way, that's the same thing for the world we live in today. Uh, the world, the people in the world, the men and women of the world today, they are like the stone and the pebble in the pond, right? They're surrounded by the good news of Jesus, of great joy. They hear it when they go to the shopping mall. Every shopping mall I go to is playing Christmas carols and everything else. Uh, they can read the Bibles for themselves. They can go to the internet. They're, they're surrounded by the good news of, of, of Jesus and the reality and the meaning of Christmas. 
but inside their hearts, it's all dry, they're untouched. And that's because they don't know the reality of Christmas. Alright, uh, the next slide. They don't know the reality of Christmas. Right, they don't see that a real historical Jesus has come into the world. They just can't be bothered. They prefer to turn to presents or Santa Claus. They don't understand the meaning of Christmas, that Jesus has come as the Savior because He's the Christ and He's God. And they don't have the joy of Christmas because they're not amazed by Jesus. Neither do they reflect and think about Jesus and neither do they praise and glorify God. So for you today, is Christmas the most wonderful time of the year? Or is Christmas the most miserable time of the year for you? Because it really should be the most wonderful time of the year. Because at this very time, many, many years ago, God sent His Son Jesus to rescue us from our sins and death. And He promises us eternal life, fellowship with Him, forgiveness and peace. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may help us to understand what Christmas really means. As we've looked at your word in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, help us to know that Christmas is a reality, that you ordered, molded, and controlled history so that your son Jesus would be born in the town of David, that he would fulfill the promises that you gave to King David all those years ago, that he would be of the house and lineage and line of David. He would be born in the town of David. Help us to see that Jesus is the Savior who rescues us from sin and forgives us from sin, from the shadow of death and judgment. And that he is the Christ, the Messiah, who is also the Lord God, who is divine. Help us to experience the joy of Christmas because we are amazed at what you've done, that we reflect and ponder about Christmas and the coming of Jesus, and that we praise and glorify you for you have made this happen. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.